Did you know that the Pop Culture Preservation Society depends on support from listeners like you to keep our podcast up and running? We are an independent operation, creating, producing, distributing, and promoting the podcast by ourselves and paying for it out of our own pockets because we love it and we think it's worth it to preserve the well-loved cultural nuggets from our Gen X youth. If you'd like to become a supporter of the PCPS, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search for Pop Culture Preservation Society. Our Patreon supporters are like our pit crew, giving us the fuel we need to keep on trucking. And as a Patreon supporter, you'll also get special thank you gifts, like video recordings of our episodes, after the episode discussions, invitations to live events over Zoom, and the occasional blooper delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of our society. Which we call in my house, Dad Don Cat, because <laughs> when they re- when they re-released it, yeah. When we we lived in a little town and had its own movie theater. And remember when you used to call the movie theater to find out what movies were showing? Yes. And the the guy was from Brooklyn or something and he'd say, In Tierra Four, Dad Don Cat. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of love is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the Big Wheel generation, which is the only generation that knows all the words to the preamble to the Constitution, thanks to our favorite teacher, Schoolhouse Rock. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we'll be saving some of the most magical memories from our childhoods. Beds that could fly, mules that could play football, and cars that had a mind of their own. The wonderful world of Disney. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Oh, buckle up, y'all, because today's episode <laughs> is one... I might be the most excited for, and I think I say that every episode, (laughs) but this episode is all about Disney. And as you two know, my family is a Disney family. We've gone often over the past 26 years and still do. And my husband and I made several trips to the OG Disneyland um, when we were dating in college at Arizona State. And my older daughter was actually an intern with the marine mammals in Epcot. Did you guys know there were marine mammals in Epcot? Fun fact, there are dolphins and manatees there. Um, So we had annual passes a couple of years, a few years ago, even though we live in Minnesota. And then when I met Carolyn three years ago and we instantly clicked, that was just one of the many things that we discovered we had in common because Carolyn's family is a Disney family too. Yes. Um, we, We love Disney. Probably me almost as much as the kids. I. Yeah was thinking as we were getting ready for this episode that a lot of the times we talk about those warm, fuzzy, kind of nostalgic feelings we get when we're doing this podcast. That's exactly what I feel when I walk through the gates and walk down Main Street, USA. (laughs) Absolutely. They're equivalent. It's this overwhelming feeling of warmth and comfort and happiness all kind of rolled into one. And I think Disney has done such a great job of capturing that. I hate to say in marketing it too, 
but that whole feeling of nostalgia. Um, and I think that's why I get teary. And, um, you know, when I'm floating through It's a Small World, oh, I'm remembering yeah. watching yes. that on Wonderful World of Disney when, you know, they were showing the ride at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there. It's, again, my young six-year-old self and my 56-year-old self sitting in the same little boat humming along to It's that's a Small World. That's the very definition of getting manilowed. Yes. It is. Mm-hmm. And I'm an absolute kid. I I... I am not embarrassed to say or to wear ears when I go to Disney. I mean, I do still as a 53-year-old woman. I mean, we're going soon to celebrate my – we're going to OG Disneyland, which we've been to with our kids several times. That's what where I grew up going. Um, and that one has the best small world of any sm- – well, I haven't been to like Disneyland Paris. It's on my bucket list um, and Tokyo Disney Sea. But um, – I can't wait to get some new small world ears to wear. I get it's and it's it's being there, but it's everything from the movies. It's even when I go see a Disney movie or watch one now, it's the castle at the beginning and that music and the it fills me with such joy. Um, and I'm usually the last one that my family has to pull away, like at midnight. I walk backwards oh, down Main Street because I'm like, I can't stop oh. looking at the castle. Yeah, I can't stop it. looking. Well, how about when you go see the um, fireworks um, at the end of the evening <laughs> at Magic Kingdom? And we that cry. moment when Tinkerbell comes in um, on the cable <laughs> and comes kind of flying in <laughs> with her wand and lights the castle and then it all lights up it's just like that moment on sunday nights when she would do that on the wonderful world of disney it's just again that moment of my little self and my big self and i kind of act like the little self because i'm so giddy when those moments are happening Mm -hmm. um it's it's still it's so fun so i'm the i'm the introvert in the room and i come from from a family of introverts so we're not a disney family it's really hard to be a group of introverts walking around disney Mm -hmm. that being said I am an OG Disneyland person, and growing up going to Disneyland is a different animal altogether because there weren't five million people there. It was just like four people. It was okay. (laughs) And they were wearing dresses and like kitten heels, little pumps. They were wearing their heels because they were walking 10 miles in a day, and they didn't need the fast pass, and they didn't need (laughs) to run. Right? They didn't need to run. They did, we didn't wait in line for two hours. We didn't do any of those things. And so that's part of my difficulty in being an introvert at Disney. Um, that, again, though, we are, and when I say we, I mean my family of origin, not just my family of three in the current day. We are a Herbie family. Mm-hmm. Like a Herbie family. <laughs> we are completely and utterly devoted to a little car. And it started in 1963 when my... um with a white VW bug that my grandfather bought. And then that bug got passed around to different branches of the family and even friends. It even went outside of the family and it would always end up coming back to us. Like it was a pet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Herbie. Like it Herbie. Away. Like it Herbie. loved your family yes. just as much and as you loved it. It did. It loved us back. And we didn't call it the bug. We called it Herbie. Aww. Like, which car are you going to take? I'm taking Herbie. That was how we talked in our family. And when we moved to Minnesota in 1975, we towed Herbie behind our big Chrysler. And guess what happens when you turn corners? It goes the on its own. The steering wheel turns <gasps> by itself. <laughs> so for 3,000 miles, my brother and I looked out the back window of our Chrysler watching Herbie drive itself with no driver. See, it was real. Do you guys know what I just recently found? I'm going to go back down to the basement, get it out again, and post it on Instagram this week. I found my paper tickets to Disneyland from when I was a little girl. 
That's I bet I could sell those for a pretty penny yes, on eBay if I wanted to. Did I tell you about when I found paper tickets in my dad's desk drawer? To this Disneyland? This when I was little. And I was digging around in my dad's desk drawer when I'm little, and I find Disneyland tickets. And I think we're having a surprise trip to oh, Disneyland. Oh, no. And I'm waiting. I'm just waiting <laughs> for the announcement at dinner. Aww. Come to find out they were just leftovers. <laughs> oh, I was crushed. So it was really, really hard. Um, but I want to comment on the fact that you guys got to experience Disney as children. I'm envious. I bet you that was oh, pretty yeah. incredible because oh, mm-hmm. my, yeah, it was. or at least it Disneyland, was. my only <laughs> Disneyland. experience was. Um, was the show and the movies mm-hmm. until yeah. um, my senior year of high school when we went for our senior trip. And I couldn't act as silly as I maybe wanted to because um, I had to be cool. Yeah. Do you know that my parents, I think I told you this before also, my parents went to Disneyland for their honeymoon. I think I love that. I think I, so yes, romantic. I love that about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my dad got my mom in for a child's fair. That's oh, right. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Well, you guys, Disney movies have always played such an important part in my life, and I know they have in yours too, and in my family's life. Like, they still play such an important part in our lives. My girls are 26 and almost 21, and we still get wildly excited when there's a new Disney release. And just because they're adults, that's not going to stop because... You know, especially the new ones. Don't you guys think? They're they're made for adults too. They're so good and funny. Funny. And Canto is such a good movie. Well, you guys, we have so much to talk about in this episode. I think we should get to it. Let's do it. seventies, Sunday nights meant magic for most of us. Am I talking about watching Frank and Joe Hardy solve mysteries with Nancy Drew? When we reached a certain age, that was magic for sure, but I'm talking about the kind of magic only Disney could create. And for one glorious hour every Sunday night, Saturday nights if you're more of an 80s kid, we popped up some Jiffy Pops, settled ourselves on the orange and brown flecked shag carpet, 12 to 14 inches from the 21-inch TV, and escaped into all the fantastical stories the wonderful world of Disney shared with us. I know you guys watched, right? Of course. Oh, my God, of course. It was like this was the ultimate in the joy of anticipation, sitting in front of the TV waiting for that image of Sleeping Beauty's castle to appear, just like you said, Carolyn, and then the sparkly fireworks, and then Tinkerbell flies into the frame, and she blesses the whole thing. The excitement was literally physical. I remember watching my friend, watching at my friend Christy Dragset's house, and her physical response was epic. Like she, I remember she put her hands out in front of her like this, and she just shook. Like, she just shook. Like, God, like we just, we couldn't stand it. It was too much. And this is, it was just too much. It was literally a physical response. And there's actually, the Dutch have a word for this. It's called voorpret, which means the joy of anticipation. And this is something that we got as children every Sunday night. Yes. Yeah. Well, the, just so the, the theme, when I was rewatching some this past week, my thought was that, 
you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about nipple lightening. And you know what? Listeners, if this is your first show, <laughs> um, just trust us. We talk a lot about nipple light. It's a feeling you get. It's, it's you know, when you're, you almost can't describe the electricity, the, and when I was watching the opening to the wonderful world of Disney, I thought if we ever needed a description of nipple lightning, in the dictionary, it would just be the, for me, it would just be the opening yeah. of the yeah. wonderful world of Disney. And I think, and that can apply to everything when we're talking about watching, you know, some, a scene in ice castles that, that, you know, that with the roses where we're like, mm-hmm. oh, we got nipple lightning at the roses. What's going on in my head when I say I get that is that opening of the wonderful world of yeah. Disney, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I wouldn't trade that moment of shaking for anything. Right now, our kids have access to whatever they want, whenever they want it. I would prefer that moment of shaking. That's the joy. That's the vorpret. I agree. And while you were lucky, Kristen, got to watch it at a friend's house sometimes, um, I remember it being used for me as take your bath, brush your teeth, get all ready for bed. Then you get to watch Mm. Wonderful World of Disney because it's Sunday night. It's kind of kicking us into the week. And my mom used it as kind of, I guess, some kind of bribe. But it worked, and I so my memories are sitting with a bathrobe on that twelve to fourteen inches from the <laughs> with TV. wet hair, yeah, wet hair, mm-hmm. and just being so excited. And as usual, you guys, I know I watched it, but as usual, I have no specific memory of doing it. <laughs> They've just been erased. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always fascinated with Disney history, and I want to give you some interesting backstory on the wonderful world of Disney that I got from Disney Wiki, which is a really fun site to poke around on. Um, the show began on October 27th, 1954, and was originally hosted by Walt Disney himself. And the series aired animated cartoons and other material, some original, some pre-existing, from the studio library, or the Disney vault, if you will. Um And in 1955, so just one year later, the show spawned the Davy Crockett craze with the miniseries about the historical American frontiersmen that starred Fess Parker in the title role, and millions of dollars of merchandise were sold, and the theme song, The Ballad of Davy Crockett, was a hit record that year. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, green estate in the land of the free, raised in the woods so he knew every tree. Built him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. You guys, can't you still just see all the little kids in the 1950s running around with coonskin caps on their head? Oh, that was my mom. That was my mom. She was she was a cowgirl. She was a cowgirl, yeah. and she taught me the Davy Crockett song, and she would get so excited for anything like Frontier yeah. or Davy Crockett. or And I just thought it was so amazing that he killed him a bar when he was only three. Yeah. A bar. <laughs> Killed him a bar when he was, he was only three. three. I was just amazed at that. Yes, and that is all thanks to the wonderful world of Disney. Okay, so on July 17th, 1955, the opening of Disneyland was covered on a live television special, Dateline Disneyland. Far, far different from today's Datelines. <laughs> um, which may be seen as an extension of the Wonderful World of Disney Anthology series, but it's actually not technically considered to be a part of it. Um, I just wanted to include it because I think it's so stinking funny that it was called Dateline Disneyland. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> because <laughs> dun, now, dun, dun. you know, Dateline is all about, you know, um, wives who murder, murder their husbands or right. people that have gone missing. Dateline, murder at Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. Mickey is missing. Um, <laughs> and um, But that show, Dateline Disneyland, was hosted by Walt, obviously. And then the series moved to NBC in 1961 to take advantage of that network's ability to broadcast in color. Um, I love this. In a display of pretty amazing foresight, which for Disney is not surprising, Disney had filmed many of its earlier shows in color. So they were able to then be repeated on NBC, which is so smart. Mm -hmm. Disney, man. Um, And then to emphasize the new color feature, the series was redubbed Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color because, you know, color was all the rage. um, And it retained that name until 1969. Now, when Walt Disney died in 1966, no one replaced him as host because, duh, right? Like, how could you? Um, And then they changed the name again and they retitled it. It was called The Wonderful World of Disney. Um, In 1969, it continued to get solid ratings. It was often in the top 20 until the mid-70s. In the fall of 1981, NBC canceled the show due to poor ratings because it couldn't compete with 60 Minutes, which I feel like that's kind of sad. I wondered about that. 6 p.m. on Sunday nights, that would be a tough slot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still like the number one show at that time slot. Isn't that kind of amazing? I know. Yeah. And think of all the people who have watched it for like literally like 50 years. So when NBC canceled the show in 1981, CBS picked it up and moved it to Saturday night where it did marginally well until the birth of the Disney Channel in 1983. You guys, I don't think I realized the Disney Channel has been around no. that long. I had no idea. I, had had no people, I remember going to different places where they had cable and I thought it was one channel. I thought it was HBO. I yeah. thought that's what cable was. I yep. had no idea there was more than one channel. I mean, I'm getting this from Disney Wiki, but still, I had no idea. Um, no idea. Um, anyway, then just over the next few decades, the show underwent a lot more changes in schedule and name. But bottom line is that it's still airing in some iteration today. Um, And no, I'm not talking about Disney Plus, although really that's pretty much the ultimate wonderful world of Disney. If you have Disney Plus, it's basically like having the Disney vault at home. I love it so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can see anything. Oh, yeah. But then you have have a philosophy argument too about the Vorpret. If you have access to everything, then do you get the Vorpret? Well, and that might be more of a question for our children than it is for you, because you might be able to summon those excited feelings from when you experienced Vorpret. But I I think it could be a both and because Mm -hmm. um, I think the Vorpret, there are other ways I get the Vorpret from Disney Plus streaming services. Um, Mm -hmm. But the nostalgia, that feeling is also a wonderfully powerful feeling that I get when I get Yeah, because I still do get that. Right. right. So it's kind of like, well, the Vorpret in other ways, but definitely having access to, I feel like watching whatever. I mean, just getting ready for this episode, the things that I watched in preparation that I haven't seen in literally whatever, 40 is, something yeah. years was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, so I think there's, it can be a both and. How about yeah, that? I agree. Mm-hmm. I can go on Disney Plus right now. You guys, did you know they have five episodes of the original Mickey Mouse Club from 1955 with Karen and Cubby and Annette? And I can go on and watch those. And I have to, I watched that all the time as a kid. I do not know if it was on reruns or what, but like, 
you talk about Vorpret, you talk about nipple lightning. I, I can mm-hmm. pull up anything on Disney Plus and 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 still get that feeling. Whereas if they didn't, if I didn't have Disney Plus, who knows if I would ever have the opportunity to see. The when Mickey Mouse Club from 1955 yeah. and watch them mm-hmm. sing, you know, it's guest star day or the talent roundup or all these <laughs> songs that I grew up loving on with my Mickey Mouse Club album. Um, and that's thrilling for me. Okay. So let's go back to our own experiences with the show, with the wonderful world of Disney. What were some of the notable shows on the wonderful world of Disney in the seventies? So the wonderful world of Disney, the burber, yeah. <laughs> It's hard to say, kind of. It is really hard to say. The Wonderful World of Disney was a weekly one-hour show. I had to say that very slowly. <laughs> so then I had to ask myself, wait a minute. How did we see all these two-hour movies on this weekly one-hour show? Well, I'll tell you. Because they showed half of the movie one week, and then you would have to wait a week to see the second half of the movie. I mean, talk about Vorpret. I was going to say right? Vorpret. Squared for something. Yeah, four yeah. squared. No wonder our bodies were shaking, right? <laughs> yeah. And these were mostly the live action features that were once in the theaters. This is also how we got to experience the movies that our parents watched from the right. 50s and the 60s, right? We got to see older movies because they re-showed them on TV for us on the wonderful world of Disney. Um, but then they even showed the, the current ones that were just recently in the theater, like <laughs> Freaky Friday or The Apple Dumpling Gang or Escape to Witch Mountain or another one of my favorites, The Shaggy DA. I love because it. we were not just a Herbie family. We were also an old English sheepdog family. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, it's such a 1960s dog. An old English sheepdog is like the golden doodle of the 60s and the 70s. Ours was named Bo Peep. Um, oh, that's cute. You, I know, isn't that cute? So you might have memories of seeing some of the animated features on uh, The Wonderful World of Disney, but the truth is there actually weren't that many. But there were lots of episodes that put together either compilations of highlights, um, clips from the animation features, animated features, Oftentimes the musical segments. Um, so you may feel like you've seen it. Or they would add highlights of a movie um, after the, the feature presentation of the evening. And I'm really questioning myself now because now I'm wondering, did I actually yeah. see these animated movies in the theater or did I just see the highlights <laughs> on Wonderful World of Disney? Did I see Cinderella? I have no memory of seeing uh-uh. Cinderella in the theater. Good I think point. I just saw clips. Yeah. And I don't even know. Yeah, maybe. I I know for me, it's really easy to get the TV show, Wonderful World World of Disney, confused with the movies I might have seen in the theaters. Because like you said, the TV show showed most of them in the years after, way after they were released. So like after. I have strong memories of seeing a few of my favorite Disney movies in the theater. Um, Mm -hmm. But everything else, I'm sure I saw on the wonderful world of Disney because they were released way before I was born. Like one of my very favorites, and I'm sure yours and many people who are listening, Mm -hmm. like The Parent Trap. That's the original. That's from 1961, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like they played that. In the, all the years I was watching The Wonderful World of Disney, it probably played two or three times in various seasons, so I probably mm-hmm. caught it more than once. If I'm in the woods, you will still find me picking up two sticks yeah, yeah. and clacking them yeah. together to scare away the mountain lions. I do it to scare <laughs> away snakes, scare away but I lions. use that reference yeah. to people all the time, yeah. or I just clap my hands. See? You hit two sticks together like this, and they're always frightened, so when they won't eat you. Wonderful World of Disney often was like a 60-minute ad for Disneyland yes, or yeah. 
Disney World. and That's the type of stuff I loved. I loved when they would show people going to the parks. Mm -hmm. Um, And you guys, there is one that I just watched called The Mouseketeers Visit Disney World. I saw that one. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's from 1977. It's on Disney Plus, everyone. If you have Disney Plus, you can go go watch it. The Mouseketeers Visit Disney World. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. Did you guys know Lisa Welchel Blair from Facts of Life was a Mouseketeer? I didn't know that. And also Sue Ann. Sue right. Ann is, a, she's a, is she's in there too. Facts of Life is a Mouseketeer also. Yeah. And so she's so cute in it. But anyway, the show um, was on Wonderful World of Disney in November of 1977. And it's just a time capsule in of fabulousness from the guests in retro clothes to the, all the OG rides. Many of them you guys have not changed at all. Um, it, and it feels like a reality show. I mean, it's real. It does. There's Those like, are the real people going to Disneyland. Yes. Disney World, sorry. So not only did they use this to promote, to promote the parks themselves, um, mostly Disney World, because Disney World, of course, was new in, mm-hmm. what, 1972 or something like that. So they didn't need yeah. to, yeah, something in the early 70s. They didn't need to promote Disneyland, but they did need to promote this brand new park. But they also had um, one-hour episodes that would promote something new at the park, like just a new ride. Mm-hmm. That alone was a big deal. Here's one that's called very innocuously. Welcome to the world. World is in all caps, meaning Disney World. It stars Lucy Arnaz, Lyle Wagner, and Tommy Toon <laughs> as they introduce viewers to Walt Disney World's newest ride, Space Mountain. Ooh. Right? A whole episode just to show the world. This is not this. So this is kind of blowing my mind because when I was a kid, I thought Disneyland was for people who lived in California. Disney World was for the people who lived in Florida, as if the Florida people got their own Disney. (laughs) But when they're making shows like this, they're advertising to the world. Don't you want to go on Space Mm -hmm. Mountain? Well, that reminds me, Kristen, of what I would probably tell you was my favorite episode of all time of all Walt Wonderful World of Disney. And in my memory, it would have been called The Osmonds Visit the Haunted Mansion. (laughs) Because I have this distinct memory of Donnie riding in the little cart through the Haunted Mansion. But when I recently rewatched that, uh, and the scene is, that scene is literally the last five to seven minutes of the mm-hmm. entire show. The episode actually features Kurt Russell, the Osmonds, and some actress named E.J. Pinker, who I never heard of before, mm-hmm. but I think she was in Hello, Dolly or something. Mm-hmm. The episode is actually called Showtime Disneyland. The so- titles are very nebulous like they don't mean anything right this i think though is highlighting a lot of the disneyland park as i mm-hmm. go back and watch it but in my memory it was just all about the osmonds and just about the haunted mansion which mm-hmm. again tells you what things you remember um mm-hmm. the osmonds sing a few songs my favorite on this episode rewatching was probably when they sing aquarius good Mm -hmm. wasn't it good Mm -hmm. and maybe again my memory is just um not as sharp as i thought it was but donnie how old would you so this was in 1971 this episode he was 12 wasn't he 12 okay well he's jamming on the keyboards like like really jamming so i'm thinking is he susan day on the keyboards is he really knowing what he's doing on there because and maybe he does i didn't know i think he has to 
prolific. Because look at his brothers. He has to. Well, we'll look to Michelle. You're our expert on Donny Osmond. Oh, I don't know that kind of stuff about Donny Osmond, though. I will say, though, <laughs> oh, in that episode, part. it's very evident that at 12 years old, and I think this was evident with him at age six years old, but he is so charismatic and he has so oh, much, uh, like agreed. way far and above. Anyway, it's no wonder he became the big breakout. He's the brother. Yeah. And it's just yes. amazing that he was the the youngest brother and he's mm-hmm. the standout. You're right. From He's that tiny little boy on the stage and it's so clear he's the star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I guess because of his charisma and all of that, to me, the show was about him and his brothers, but that was all. I had no memory of Kurt Russell or E.J. Peeker. I would have thought this memory I have held probably for 40-something years was the Osmonds visit the Haunted Mansion, mm-hmm. and that uh-huh. was 50 minutes mm-hmm. of pure and joy. They were doing that much like Kristen said earlier. The Haunted Mansion was just, I think it was, it was new. So that was their right. way to, mm-hmm. to advertise it to everybody. And what better way than to have the Osmonds write it? And, and so, like you said, the last is. five to seven minutes is just the Haunted Mansion. And what it is, is following the Osmonds through while they're on the ride. <laughs> right. It's just <laughs> the length of the ride. That's all it is. It's like an advertisement. But just, and then, so you have the Osmonds exclaiming, and that's just super warm and fuzzy. But then I see all of the ghosts and all of the things that they see. I know all of those ghosts. Yes, exactly. I, it's like they're my friends. Mm-hmm. I know you guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Those voices. And that's another mm-hmm. thing that Disney just knows how to do. They don't change that very much. So, you know, what no. you experience as a child watching on the wonderful world of Disney, mm-hmm. or in your case, mm-hmm. is actually going to Disneyland. And then you go as an adult with maybe your children, or for me, the first time just as a grown child, and seeing that thing that I saw with Donnie on TV when I was six is just mind-blowing. And that's it is what they do so well. Yeah. Um, did they also had a lot of holiday specials? Did you guys, either of you, watch the Christmas special from 1978? No. Oh, no. I oh, need to. You guys. Okay. This is, they had, re- they had great Christmas specials and Halloween specials and things like that, usually ripe with, um, with, clips and things like that. This one from 1978 is not didn't have any clips, but listen to this list of guest stars. We have Pablo Cruz, <laughs> Phyllis Diller, Andrea McCardle, who played Annie, Annie on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. D from What's Happening. <laughs> and wait for it. Uh-oh. Shields and Yarnell. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and you guys, this show is bonkers. Okay. It's it's bordering on disturbing. I'm oh my god, it's too much shields in your now. Do not tag Robert Shields for this episode because this was I'm serious. It, there were so it opens with the clinkers, shields in your now, yeah, the yes. clinkers, the robot people and they go to the airport and they are at the airport forever. <laughs> it's like 10 or 15 minutes well, of them going through security. To get your luggage, you it can't takes a long time. Fast. And now, after our discussion in the dynamite episode, I cannot stop looking at their eyes. I know. They don't I blink. Know. And they can it's look cross-eyed freaky. and then straight ahead. Yes. And then one can go one way without blinking. It's like they're too committed. They're too committed. Then they have this one sketch where they're playing giant babies and they end up sucking each other's thumbs. Oh. And it is nothing short of fellatio. It is <laughs> It's disgusting. Well, I mean, like they are it's a sucking. little short of fellatio. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> was thumb. disturbing. But oh. then, 
No, that's not. This is not the worst part. So then Andrea McArdle is singing like some Sunday school song about Christmas, and and she's very earnest. And then here comes Geppetto. Geppetto comes walking out to join her in song. He's carrying a ferret. I'm like, what's with the ferret? And there's no. I'm like, is there a ferret in Pinocchio? There's a cat. And he's just cradling the ferret like it's the baby Jesus or something. And then here comes Alice in Wonderland. She has a ferret too. What? Yeah. I don't know why they have all these ferrets. And there's no mention of why anyone has a ferret. It's the most bizarre thing. But here's the best part of the whole show. Oh, my God. I can hardly even stand it. So, apparently, Yarnell, who is the female part of Shields and Yarnell, Thank you. is familiar with ballet. She's no slouch. She's pretty good. Um, she's not like a professional or anything. And she does a pas de deux with this, like, Prince Charming style dancer it looks very much like swan lake and he's you know got the ballet tights and the little shorty shirt and the whole thing and she's got the big tutu and he's holding her as they do holding her hand up top while she does pirouettes going around and around and around with her you know her toe is on her knee and her knee is pointing outward she's going around and around and around and her knee (gasps) hits his giant nut cup i'm not kidding i'm not kidding and they didn't Start over. They didn't edit they it. They didn't. They let it stay. He's like, oh. He's like, he like contracts out so Doop. far that she's just like. <laughs> she hits his penis. Wait, did you watch this on Disney Plus or is it on YouTube? Yes. Oh, no. Was it on? I think it was on YouTube. Okay, okay. I think it was on YouTube. I have to watch this. Oh, my God. I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. <laughs> she hit his nut cup. Okay, well, that was a really fun fact, Kristen, about um, that Christmas special, which <laughs> now you're going cup. to see an onslaught yeah. of Gibbs, downloads. Wait, sorry, or... can I just say one thing? Gives a whole new meaning to the term nutcracker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got some other fun little facts to share with you that I uncovered as I was doing my research. Not a ton. I could have been here forever, and um, these were some that just were highlights to me that um, kind of stuck out. And my favorite one I'm going to leave till last, and... You'll see why. One of the things I thought was kind of cool was that um, one of the reasons NBC was very eager to lock down the Disneyland show. What was it called? Wonderful World of Color? Yeah, it was called Disney's Wonderful World of Color. The World of Color, right. Was because the parent company of NBC was RCA. And NBC hoped that by broadcasting these color episodes, they would help increase the sales of color televisions Mm -hmm. for RCA. The very first... Disney television character before Hannah Montana, before any of those people, was Ludwig Ludwig von Drake. And if you remember Ludwig, he was like the German kind of frazzled duck. So he was somehow related to Donald. Uh But he was just um, created for the television program that Disney produced. Mm, Disney Not was, in a movie of any kind. It was no. just for the program. Correct. Got and it. Disney, if you remember when we talked about um, movie and film studios in our TV Homes episode, we talked about the fact that um, some of the film studios started to see, oh, this TV thing might just take off. We might need to start producing some television programming. Uh, Disney was the first major studio to actually do that and to jump on that bandwagon, which I thought was also very interesting. Okay. Toward the end of the 60s, Disney's, whatever we're calling it this time, Wonderful World, (laughs) began to see a drop in ratings. And I thought this was super interesting. This is after Walt Disney has died, and they're trying to 
decide how they're going to um, reformat the show. And they do some audience focus groups. And it turns out that the public was really interested in animal stories. And so they decided to really glom onto that. And so they responded by producing shows about geese, cougars, (laughs) ostriches, falcons, crows. But those are the ones Then I started thinking, I remember those. Like, I almost thought they were in, what was that other show that we watched? Omaha, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Yes. Yes. But wild th- Kingdom. That's yeah, what Wild it was. Kingdom. But Disney's Wild Kingdom. No, it was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Yeah, but, I know. I'm just kidding. Oh, I get. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Disney had their own share of episodes um, during those years about these wild animals. So there were fictionalized stories about different animals. So I thought like that Sammy was cool. the Way Out Seal. Sammy the Way Out mm-hmm. Seal is a great yeah. example. And they also tied that into a lot of their theatrical releases during that time as well. So that's when we get, you know, um, the Million Dollar Duck and mm-hmm. stuff like that. There's a lot of cat movies. Yeah. There are so many. And there's one I forgot to mention, you guys. This one is from 1980. So still we have the same the same concept that is following them. There's this thread that follows throughout. Um, I actually watched this. It's from 1980. It's called Sultan and the Rockstar. This is one of the one-hour featurettes like you're mm-hmm. talking about. It's not a feature movie. It's just right. a one-hour show. And it's starring Timothy Hutton, an adorable, long-haired <sighs> Timothy Hutton, as an overworked teenage rock star who escapes to hide out on Sportsman Island. He's oh. trying to get away from all of his fans, where he befriends Sultan, who is a 400-pound Bengal tiger. But <laughs> in true Disney fashion, the, there's some like evil guy who's trying to hunt the tiger and kill it for sport, and now Timothy Hutton has to save the tiger. Mm. Because I think one thing that Disney figured out is that children will not abide animal cruelty. Right. Right. They will not. Oh, right. right. Save there the animal one... at all costs. Save Kill the, the mom animal. in every movie, but... Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but save, save the animal. The animal. Well, mm-hmm. And you read some of the plot lines of some of those exact hour-long featurettes that you're talking about. I'm like, I think I watched that. There was one, and now I can't remember the name of the actual episode, but there was this famous steeplechase horse that gets crippled and injured, and this Amish father and daughter buy it at an auction and retrain it and it becomes a workhorse for them. And they love um, the horse. And I can't remember the name right now, but I remember watching that. So there were a lot of these stories where a child would basically become friends with an animal. Sometimes they yes. were like lions and things. They weren't always like... So dear to my you- heart. My mom is scarred by so dear to my heart, which is about a baby fawn. I'm sure it dies. I'm sure oh, there's gosh. death. So, yeah, so that was one way that they were able to um, kind of uh, bring themselves out of this slump slump that they were experiencing at the end of the 60s. By the end of that season of doing more animal-centric and scientific kind of programming, they uh, soared to number nine in terms of television shows that season um, and wow. grabbed 24% of the available audience. And then by the end of, se- of the 72-73 season, Wonderful World of Disney was NBC's fourth highest rated series. Oh, really? Yeah. Kind of interesting. Yeah. I can see so that. Welcome, Disney. We would have yeah. been those kids sitting on the floor giving right. them their share of the exactly. audience. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1968 Disney movie, the one and only genuine original family band, starred our friend Kurt Russell. And do you know what? This was the first time he met Goldie Hawn, was on the set oh, of really? this movie. She was a dancer. They don't, they just meet. Oh, they don't become cute. romantically involved for like a decade. What year was later. this again? 1968. 
Okay. Although we would have seen it when it was rebroadcast in, um, in 1972 mm-hmm. and retitled The Family Band, because I'm guessing the one and only <laughs> genuine original family band was too long to like write on the screen right. or something. And hold on here, because you'll be really excited to know the movie also stars our friend John Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Russell, too, is adorable. Oh, my gosh, oh, right? He's Don't adorable. Even, my uh, mom yes. had a crush on him. I want to go back and say that um, to our crush episode, I think I said maybe Donnie or Keith Partridge was my first crush. But upon rewatching these, oh, no, it was Kurt Russell. I just didn't oh, yeah. almost know it Cute. was Kurt yeah. Russell. You were too I, little to know that exactly. that's what you were feeling. But, you were like, I you, can't look away, but I don't know why. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm going back to Kurt for that. It just occurred to me right now at this moment that Disney, you know, it's such an iconic term. It's a thing. It's a feeling. But it's just his name. So it could have easily been like Cochrane Land. Yeah. Cochrane World. <laughs> the wonderful world of, of Cochrane. Cochran. Yeah. How oh, is that you any imagine? different? <laughs> yeah, but you're right. Uh-huh. Right. The wonderful Newman world, world of Newman. Newman oh Land. Gosh. But it wouldn't sound funny if it would have been that. Right. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, Doing I want so well conditioned. I want to give you guys a list of Disney movies, live action and animated that were released in the theaters um in chronological order. However, if I gave you all of them, like for instance, in ni- in the 1970s alone there were 43 in just that one decade. Oh, wow. So, I'm going to give the most notable ones. That means that okay. some of the ones that we might not have recognized or they don't sound as familiar, I might not read aloud. So if you're listening and you like the really obscure ones like Scandalous John or Now You See Him, Now You Don't or Hot Lead and Cold Feet, just know that they are on our list, guys. We just don't have, we don't have that kind of time. Um, Actually, though, I want to start, I I do want to give you the ones in the 70s, but I want to go back to some notable ones from the 60s just because I know that we saw these on The Wonderful World of Disney. Mm -hmm. I already mentioned The Parent Trap from 1961. We just mentioned Mary Poppins from 1964. In 1965, we had That Darn Cat with Haley Mills, Dean Jones, and Roddy McDowell. Which we call in my house, Dad Darn Cat. Because (laughs) when they they re-released it. Yeah. When we we lived in a little town and had its own movie theater. And remember when you used to call the movie theater to find out what movies were showing? <laughs> yes. And the the guy was from Brooklyn or something. And he'd say, in Tierra 4, Dad Don Cat. In 1967, The Happiest Millionaire, which was a musical starring Fred McMurray of My Three Sons. He also was in The Absent-Minded Professor, which is another one I remember seeing on the wonderful world of Disney. Um, he also was in the, the shaggy dog, which comes before the shaggy DA. That's the original that, uh, happiest millionaire also starred Leslie Ann Warren and it started 20 year old John Davidson. Again? Now, and oh my God. you guys, when I saw that John Davidson was in this movie, when I was doing my research, I thought, John Davidson, not that John. This was from 1967. Not that. He must have been a child. And I looked, and oh, no, he wasn't a child. But man, 20-year-old John Davidson? I mean, he's he's good looking at 80. Go back mm-hmm. he would go back and look at him at age 20. And it starred Greer Garson in her last film role. Oh, wow. Um, wow. A very notable animated movie from before... Um, the 70s, was The Jungle Book from 1967. 
And then, of course, 1969, Kristen brought us The Love Bug. And that, of course, stars Dean Jones, Michelle Lee, David Tomlinson, who we know from Mary Poppins and from Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, which he hadn't done yet. And then, of course, Buddy Hackett as Tennessee. Yeah. So good. Oh, yes. Uh, and then a great Kurt Russell one in 1969, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Um, I, I know I saw that, that on night. The Wonderful World of Disney. And I might not have seen the whole thing, Kristen. I might have seen a snippet of it mm-hmm. if they were doing yeah. something. Okay, now we get into the 70s. And so um, probably one of my all-time top five favorite Disney animated movies and my um, my whole family's is The Aristocats. And that came out in 1970. I remember the first time I heard somebody say the word aristocrat. And I was like, you're saying that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's Aristocat. It's Aristocat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1971, um, three notable movies, The Barefoot Executive, The Million Dollar Duck, and Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which you guys, I just rewatched the other, the other night. It holds up. It holds up. So if you are listening and you loved that movie and you have Disney Plus, watch it again. Um, in fact, my husband and I are watching. He, cause like I said, we both love Disney stuff. We were thoroughly entertained and we said, you know what? The girls, like our adult daughters, like they would love this movie still. Um, the computer horror tennis shoes, however, does not hold does up. Does it not? <laughs> it was, the pacing is so awkward. Yeah. It was really boring. Yeah. I feel like that's probably Sorry, Kurt Russell. that darn like cat might you, be that, that way. That how do you say it? That don cat. That don cat. Uh, okay, and then, 1973. Like I said, my husband's favorite animated movie. That's when Robin Hood came out. 1974 was Herbie Rides Again. Kristen, do you like all the sequels, or are you just the OG Herbie? Um, no, I like all of them. And in fact, Liam's first movie was Herbie Fully Loaded with okay. Lindsay Lohan. Oh, oh yes. We saw oh. that one. I, we saw that. We were in New York at the time, my husband and I, when that was being promoted. And on we were out at the Today Show. You know, you got on the plaza in the morning. So we were the people standing out there. And, the, and Herbie was out there because they were promoting them. Oh, the actual Herbie. Um, <laughs> 1975, The Strongest Man in the World with Kurt, cutie Kurt Russell. 1975 also, two of my other favorites, Escape to Witch Mountain and the Apple oh, Dumpling yes. Gang. That's yeah. so scary. Oh 1970. Yeah. yeah. Very scary. 1976 was Gus with Don Knotts. It's the mule That's that plays cute. football. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then in 1976, also the Shaggy DA classic. I started watching that last night. I only got about 30 minutes into it, but it held up for me. I was, it held up. I watched the whole thing last night. <laughs> Suzanne Plachette. I loved it. Is that oh, about the same so year fantastic. she was in Bob Newhart? 76? Yes. It okay. would have overlapped. Cause her mm-hmm. hair looked the same to me. Yeah. She's so good. Okay. I'm going to just say 77 as all of these. Cause that's a great year. We have Freaky Friday, The Littlest Horse Thieves, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I thought that one was earlier, but that was 1977. Well, it is. I'll explain that in a minute. Okay, good. It's, yeah. Um, the feature is something different. Another great animated movie, The Rescuers. Then we have Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo and Pete's Dragon. Uh, 1978, we have Candle Shoe and then Return from Witch Mountain and The Cat from Outer Space. 1979. I was very confused by, like, the whole Witch Mountain thing. I was like, is it Escape to Witch Mountain? Yeah, or right. Escape from? And right. then you have Return from Witch, or Return? It was just very confusing right. to me. I still think to this day, if you said the original, is it Escape to or Escape from? I don't know that I would get it right. Um, 1979, The Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again, which was the sequel that I didn't, I really wasn't on board with. And then, 1980, we have Herbie Goes Bananas. I don't remember that one. Do you remember that one? 
Mm-hmm. But I probably didn't see it in the theater. I, I probably mean, saw it on the wonderful. Correct movie me if theater. I'm wrong, but I think Herbie was always a little bananas. He's always bananas, <laughs> for sure. Although I will say that those later ones are not my favorite, for sure. It's it's really my sweet spot is Herbie Rides Again. Yeah, with Michelle That's Lee. The best one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and part of it is that there's this love story with San Francisco too, because my parents. <laughs> San Francisco people. So, yeah. So, is that, do you guys have like when I read that list, is there one that's a favorite, a favorite Disney movie that you just always, that's the one that speaks to you? Well, I had to think about this really hard because I was like, a favorite. I mean, besides Herbie, what the hell? But then once I started looking at the list, I realized, okay, so along with Herbie, and the Shaggy DA and Freaky Friday. My God, I loved that movie. I loved Jodie Foster. <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved yeah. that. And I loved the book. I loved everything about it. Um, and Mary Poppins, I to this day adore that movie. That with that, that was the first time. Now it's not the first time. I think Song of the South was the first time where they combined live action with animation. And I was just completely charmed. But I have feelings, like big feelings. About Winnie the Pooh. Deep in the hundred-acre wood, where Christopher Robin plays, you'll find the enchanted So, like you said, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh came out in 1977, but that is a compilation of Winnie of, of two featurettes that were made in the 60s. Oh, so, sure. Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree is from 1966. Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day was from 1968. Mm. So, they're just an hour long. They're short, and they're such they honor the book so much, and I think this is part of why I have feelings about them. They have these quiet, understated characters that were so endearing, and they use the dialogue directly from the text so who's like oh bother and he's doing his stoutness exercises oh yes time for my stoutness exercise up down up when i up down touch the ground it puts me in the mood up down touch the ground in the mood for food and he's just so adorable and i think a lot of that also has to do with the voice actors because you have this scratchy, I mean, you know Pooh's voice, right? It's this very scratchy, childlike, but almost British voice of Sterling Holloway. And then you have Sebastian Cabot as the narrator. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Cabot, yeah. of course, is Mr. French from mm-hmm. Family Affair. And he's actually reading the book. The book is what you, the, the characters jump in and out of the book. I was so charmed i was so charmed oh and paul winchell was the voice of tigger who was also the voice of wait for it mr owl in the tootsie pop commercial <laughs> oh. a one a two a three yes. a three that's tigger wow. that's tigger's voice um and these featurettes when they were on tv were sponsored by sears because Sears, oh, yeah. of course, was the exclusive provider of all Winnie the Pooh merchandise. How many right. of you had shorts that had Winnie the Pooh on right, them? Right, right. Yeah. Or a little polo shirt with Winnie the Pooh instead yeah. of a Ralph Lauren thing, right? That's all right. the Winnie the Pooh stuff. Kristen, that's so cute because I don't remember, like, like I don't remember that that movie was important to me as a kid, but it's mm-hmm. a hugely important movie in our family because my older daughter, Emily, that was one of the first movies. Bambi and that movie were the two mm-hmm. first movies 
that she would watch on repeat. Those stories and the, like when you said, you know, doing his stoutness exercises and the the little, yeah. we had the cassette and all the music we just played in the car over and over again. So that movie holds a really special place in my heart. And not because it was something that I remember, but it's something that I shared with my daughter and then it became such an important fab- part of the fabric of our family. And that's the beauty of Disney. I wonder, even at that young age, only 15 months, I still wonder if it taps into something emotional, because Winnie the Pooh for me was something almost very melancholy. It made me, like, almost wistful, right? And Mm -hmm. so I'm full of love, but it's also a little bit sad, and I'm not exactly sure why. These are the best times The moments we can't let slip away Life's little game we play. Kristen, you talked about feelings. And this movie, boy, did I have feelings. But what was so surprising was I didn't know why I had the feelings or even that this movie was going to affect me this way. Let me give you a little backstory. So we're getting ready for this episode and you ask, what's our favorite Disney movie? And I'm like, oh, there's so many. Let me go scroll and look at all the names of Disney movies and, you know, look at the movie posters and whatever. So I'm going through and yeah, there's bed knobs and broomsticks. There's all the ones we've talked about already. And then I see the cover or whatever you want to call it for Super Dad. Now, you guys might not remember Super Dad. It might be one of those that I thought you were going to name it back a minute ago. I almost Michelle, did. when you were saying the ones that no one knew. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I might have said that at a time, but when something happened to me when I saw this um, picture of basically what would have been the movie poster, it stopped me in my tracks. I had this response when I saw the cover is um, Kurt Russell is in it. He is uh, the groom. In this movie, there's the picture of the bride, and then next to the bride is the bride's father. So I'll give you a little background. Um, a feeling literally washed over me, and it's hard for me to describe. It's kind of like that wistful feeling, maybe that you were just describing, Kristen. Mm-hmm. It was bittersweet. There was a melancholy to it. There was an ache. And honestly, just from seeing that picture, it was so surprising to me. And it made me so curious. I thought, I have got to watch this movie. Why is just this affecting mm-hmm. me so? So I found and you it on Amazon. Did you call the movie at this point? Did you remember what it was about or anything? Not really, except that there, that there, I knew that Kurt Russell was in it and that there was a wedding. Okay. So I found it on Amazon. I actually had to pay for it, $3.99 to rent it for 48 hours. And as soon as it started and the theme music started playing, that same feeling washed mm. over me again. And I found myself singing along oh, to the song what? that I oh didn't even know I knew. Oh, And weird. the song is titled, These Are the Best... I'm probably going to cry talking about this. It's so bizarre. These Are the Best Times. And the opening credits are actually going as the movie is starting. So instead of seeing everything at the end, it's starting in the beginning. The important part is the last scene. And the last scene is Wendy is getting married. Okay, and um, a few funny things happen. But then we have this scene where this boy's choir, this little cherub choir, is walking down the aisle singing that song from the beginning. And I start crying. Oh, and that song, I tell you, you guys, it was just... It gobsmacked me. Mm-hmm. Um, as I, I'm like, wow. I'm crying here. 
And it was, I think, really that wedding scene and just mm-hmm. how much um, the dad didn't want any of this to happen. And then it does. And he's yeah. so happy for his daughter. And, and how old were you, do you think, when you well, saw it for the, the first time? Well, that's crazy. So it came on 73, it, I just saw. 73. So I was um, eight. So I'm okay. thinking I'm just now starting, you know, to think like this. And I've watched mm-hmm. Kurt. So I've seen him in these other movies. But he's been a little more kid-like. So this is the first time I'm seeing him like kissing someone and and being kind of have a romantic and you're right i have 1973 um as the year it came out theatrically and i could totally see going to see it with my i mean that's yeah. kind of in our wheelhouse we a nice family movie those two mm-hmm. hours i mean some of my disney memories are all at this one particular movie theater where my mom would usually take us and a lot of those theatrical releases from the 60s i think also came out the in the movie theater not just on wonderful world of oh disney. several so times I, yeah, yeah so i mm-hmm. think a lot of those released i right. saw with popcorn and even yeah. maybe an intermission right. for some that were long um but i'm pretty sure i saw super dad with my mom because she would have been like oh bob crane he was in hogan's oh, yeah. heroes no this was g at just more of some of the comments they make and things, but okay, yeah, it was it got me. Uh, it sure did. My favorite Disney movie from my childhood um, is probably my favorite because it's my most memorable. Because again, like you said, Kristen, it's almost impossible for me to choose. I have a lot, especially when you throw the animated ones. But the one that I will always say is my number one is the Apple Dumpling Game. The 1975 movie that stars Bill Bixby, Susan Clark, who later, if you guys remember, she was the mom on Webster with her husband, right. Alex Crass. Mm-hmm. Is, is that how you say yeah, his last Karis, name? Karras. Karras. Um, and then Don Knotts and Tim Conway, who are yeah. hysterical. Tim and I, Conway, I have a new appreciation oh for because he's in the Shaggy DA also. That mm-hmm. guy's a genius. genius. That is mm-hmm. comedy His gold. timing is is impeccable. So this was one of the very first movies I ever saw in a theater. And I remember seeing it with my daddy. I must have been six. Um, and I just remember laughing my butt off, just feeling and feeling so grown up and cool that I got it, that I got all the stuff that everybody was laughing it's at. Because not a cartoon. It was humor. like a grown up movie to us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a kind of the gangster, the scary, but it's not scary. If you go back and rewatch mm-hmm. it, it's so funny. Like Don Knotts and Tim Conway, they're just so stupidly hilarious, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to steal the gold nugget and all all of the hijinks that that they try to do that there's never really a time that they're they're scary for a little kid. It's just funny. It's just slapstick comedy. Um and I also I loved the little girl Celia. She was always saying, "Mr. Donovan, I got to go." Was I just remember <laughs> laughing every time you knew she was going to say it. I can remember mm-hmm. being little and then I'm sure I watched it other times because it then would show up on the wonderful world of Disney in, you know, 1977 or whatever. Um, and you guys, I just rewatched it the other day, just happily rewatched it. And again, it holds up. And I'm not just saying that because I actually liked it. And one other thing, uh, 1975 Bill Bixby. Hello. Oh, hello. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It was pretty cute. Agreed. That was like pre Hulk, but, um, after Eddie's father. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, you guys, this, we have so much more even that we could keep talking about, but I feel like if we do, this episode is going to be three hours long. So I think it's going to be a documentary. 
We could. Mm -hmm. It could be a five-parter. Right. I think what let's do is we have some more um, fun stuff about the music of Disney and some of the fun stars we saw in the movies. And we have a fun Disney quiz. But I think what we're going to do is we're going to take that over to Patreon right now. And that way, if you are a Patreon supporter, you can find it over there. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, go on over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Dot com, And you will see um, this audio, this extra audio, um, plus a lot of other fun, extra exclusive content. So I think it is very safe to say, given that we can't stop talking, that the wonderful world of Disney was the very definition of a cultural touchstone for our generation. We held our breath for Sunday nights and even planned dinner around that 6 p.m. start time. Whether it was live action capers or animated fairy tales or visits to the actual parks, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that in those days, the word Disney represented the very pinnacle. Everything everything I say is so hyperbolic, but it's the very pinnacle of entertainment of fun. There was nothing higher. And most people that were watching those shows only dreamed of visiting one of the Disney parks as if that was only possible in their fantasies. But we lived for that 6 p.m. Sunday night time slot. And when I see the movies from this era and I see footage of the park from this time, I do get a little bit wistful because I want it to be that way right now. I want that style of animation. I want those rides. And honestly, I want those slower, more relaxed, and much smaller crowds. Yes. Just because that's what it was like when I was a kid. And this is hard because, of course, things have to change. I can't just recycle my childhood for the children of today. But there is some solace in revisiting it all through my favorite podcast. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Yes, and please join us next week when we'll take another nostalgic-filled trip down memory lane. If you like what you hear and you enjoy our social media pages and you'd like to help support the PCPS, there are a few easy things you can do. One, listen. You can listen. <laughs> Which <laughs> if, you've, listen. if you've made it this far, you get a gold star for doing so. Thank you. Two, share our podcast and page with others. We want more people to experience the joy you're finding in these memories. And our society has no limits to its membership. Open-ended. Uh, three, follow or subscribe where you listen. On Apple Podcasts, just click the three little dots in the upper right-hand corner. And on Spotify... Click the button that says follow. (laughs) You can't miss it. (laughs) Um, And four, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, when you're done with this um, episode, please click the five stars and leave a short or long review telling everyone else why you are enjoying our conversations. We love to read and share all the wonderfully nice reviews we are collecting over there. Um, and if you want to take your support to the next level, become a PCPS Patreon patron and help us pay the bills and be able to continue to do what we love for you. Our patrons, like I said just a minute ago, get such fun bonus content, and you can check it out at patreon.com or via the links on our website at poppreservationists.com or in our Instagram bio. And today we are giving a special thank you to patrons. Jennifer, Jennifer, must be the 60s because that's two Jennifers and we have more. Uh, Dina, Pam, Heather, and Julie, thank you so much. 
In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. Two good times. Two happy days. Two little house on the prairie. Cheers. 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 The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. Spread a little love and it will keep moving on. Something always happens whenever we're together. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song.